You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. Here we go with episode 62, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. So it's not only episode 62, it's also the first episode of season three. How about that? And it's great to be back in the studio again after what seemed like a long time away. Uh, I did mention I was going to be gone for some weeks, but I don't think I said where. So if you're on social media, chances are you already know that I spent 21 days in Greece, Hungary, and Slovenia, and about two hours in Italy. But mostly Greece, which I now love so much, and I can't wait to return there. So these days, I like arriving a day or two early when I travel to faraway places so that I can catch up on my sleep and put any jet lag behind me. And in this case, uh, it also got me an extra day in Athens, and so I did the tourist thing, you know, and visited the Acropolis and the Acropolis Museum. Uh, Actually, I went to the Acropolis twice, and uh, folks, I am still processing all of that. Uh, um, You you know, my house here in Champaign is just at a century old, and there's not much older here in town than, you know, maybe 150 years. So when you go to a place like Athens, where history stretches back for thousands of years, and people have lived here for generation upon generation upon generation, it, it just has a different feel. You know, it has a different vibe to it, and I can't really describe it, so you'll kind of have to go see for yourself. And I'm not kidding, really. Just go see. I mean, you can look at a thousand pictures of the Acropolis, but you'll never know what the marble steps feel like under your feet unless you go. Uh, But anyway, Greece is uh, travel and tourist-friendly, good roads everywhere, lots of English spoken, fantastic food and people. And, you know, Hungary was pretty awesome, too, for many of the same reasons. Uh, So I went herping over there. My group did pretty well uh, around the various countries. And uh, I think our species count was over 50, maybe 53, I think, or 54. And I had been reading about some of these herps for the past half century. So it was pretty special to see some of them, uh, you know, for the first time, like marginated tortoises and Greek tortoises and and, uh, four-lined rat snakes and green lacertas. And uh, things like Escalapian snakes and uh, European vipers. I can't forget those. So, But anyway, this trip was a, a long time in the making. And I want to give a shout out to Jeroen Spaybrook for extra inspiration and motivation. Uh, you may all remember Jeroen from episode 27. But it's good to be back home. And I thank you all for your patience while I was away. And before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank all the patrons of the show. So here we are starting season three, and none of this would be possible without your generous support. And I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you're listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. Now, uh, a few final bits of housekeeping. As I mentioned earlier, I've got an AMA slash origin story show featuring yours truly coming up this summer. And of course, this is the summer of 2022. AMA means ask me anything. So if you've got some questions for me, that is questions that can be read on a clean-readed show. So maybe not ask me 
quite anything. Uh, send them into so much pingle at gmail.com and get in touch with me. Uh, got some responses already, and, and thanks to the folks who sent those in. Now, one more thing before we get to our guests. I want to mention uh, the upcoming Compass Herpetology Summer Camp at Montreal College, which is near Asheville, North Carolina. Now, this camp is run by my friend and co-author, Professor Josh Holbrook, who teaches at Montreal, and it is open to high school students. And the camp will be held from June 19th through the 24th, with an optional week extension through July 1st. And this herpetology camp is designed for those who enjoy getting their hands dirty and, you know, have a strong interest in nature and, you know, maybe get uh, your feet wet a little bit. Uh, the students will be exploring the amazing world of amphibians and reptiles through a blend of classroom and field sessions. Gotta love those field sessions. They will encounter a variety of animals up close to learn about the ecology and conservation of amphibians and reptiles. And there will be some field trips to the surrounding Carolina areas. So if you're a high school student or you know one with an interest in herps, here's an opportunity to combine cool herps with applied science. So for more information, visit montreat.edu slash compass and montreat is M-O-N-T-R-E-A-T or see the episode 62 show notes for the appropriate links. Alrighty then. So for this show, we are reaching back to late winter with some interviews I recorded in Peru. And we have origin stories from Tom Williams, Greg Stevens, and Nick Bergmeier. Tom is from the UK, and I hadn't met him in person before Peru, but he is a world traveler and a real ball of fire. And I enjoyed spending some time with him in the field. And Greg and Nick are old friends of mine. And so I interviewed them together as they are, you know, bosom buddies with a lot of shared experiences. And as I've said before, it's a lot of fun when my friends come down to Peru for the first time and I get to be there when their minds are blown. And uh, I especially enjoyed having these two guys come down to the hot and sweaty with me. And so Tom is up first. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's a hot afternoon here in the Peruvian rainforest. We just had lunch and I'm uh, sitting here at the back of my my tambo, my hut uh, overlooking a pond, and uh, I'm talking today with Tom Williams. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing to talk to me. Um, uh, you and I uh, corresponded a little bit over the years, and I've known of you, and uh, but I've never really sat down to talk with you uh, until this trip, and it's just been kind of fun to get to know you. So, so I want to talk uh, and find out more about uh, how you got into herping and tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from absolutely so uh i live in london and kind of always have so the the diversity of herps there is is pretty low so yeah. so i tend to tend to be going abroad um but I, I i first got into it i mean my i've always liked reptiles i think uh my my first memory of anything like that i think i was in i was in primary school and there was kind of a, a take a book home from the library day or something like that and i, I found something about um uh, keeping reptiles as pets but the front cover was a, a felsuma laticauda like the beautiful yellow red green blue kind of gecko oh yeah uh, so i i saw that and i thought i like this book you know <laughs> so i i took that home and i i kind of read it cover to cover and after that you know i i kind of asked my mum, well, I, it was clear I like reptiles and things. And we had a birthday party where, you know, they come and they bring some snakes and things. Oh, yeah. Things like that. So I, I was kind of always interested. And I started 
working when I when I was sort of volunteering to start with when I was I think I was like thirteen at the place that did the reptile party. Oh, so they had snakes and some crocodilians and things like that. It was it was kind of a a bit of a wild west kind of place. You know, <laughs> okay. health and safety was um, you know mixed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but it, it was great because we just got to play with all this amazing stuff. Um, but I'd never, I'd never seen anything in the wild. Um, and I can't remember how it came about, but my mum very kindly decided to take us to Madagascar. So I was very fortunate, uh, when I was, I think I was about 14 or 15. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, my sister didn't like it so much with the humidity and the, the hair and, you know, and the walking around. Um, but that was when I first kind of, I started seeing a couple of wild reptiles um no idea what i was doing the guides were taking us around finding finding some amazing things and that was that was i think when i fir first caught my you know first snake because uh, i was walking around a, a pond that in ankarafanska national park there's a pond with Nile crocodiles in it oh wow so I, I just went for a walk and it was like a six foot leoheterodon madagascariensis the malagasy hognoses oh yeah in the trail Wow. Um, and I grabbed it and it started lunging at my face <laughs> <laughs> and I dropped it pretty quickly. Uh, I was, I was wow. like, oh, that's, that's too much. Wow. Um, so yeah. I, and since then I was like, okay, I, I want to find some more things basically. So you kind of had the double, the two, two handed punch of herping and travel at yeah. the same time. So yeah, you, I, I never saw a, a wild snake in the UK until, you know, after the going to Madagascar, because the, if you don't know where to go, you can't, you don't just stumble across them. Right. You know, you have to, um, especially as someone kind of growing up in London, uh, you, you are unlikely to see a snake yeah. um, or pretty much anything, even frogs, you know, there's, there's not many left. So I came back and then I kind of worked out how to find some of the, the native species as well. Okay. But, you can complete those pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm told if you're really lucky, you can do it in, in one day. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've done it most, it was only a few months ago, but managed to, managed to find all of the native reptiles in a day. Uh, if you get the right weather for it, if you get the smooth snake, which is kind of the rare one, uh -huh. uh, then the rest should, should be out too. But after that, kind of the, the drive is definitely to go abroad. Um, yeah. If you're a person that's interested in amphibians and reptiles, you you quickly realize you're either going to settle for seeing the same things over and over, or you're, you're going to have to figure out how to travel around the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, it's kind of nice because, you know, the, the adders there, I mean, I, I, I've seen so many of them. I don't touch them. They're kind of quite, uh, it's easy to disturb them. So it's not good to kind of go around catching everything, especially when there's small populations and not too sure. many of them. So you're content but, just to observe them. Yeah, and they I've seen them mating, I've seen them doing the the male male combat. Oh wow. Uh, wow. things like that. So if you if you watch them they they're not shy. They'll sit there. So that that's quite a nice thing to do. Yeah. But for diversity, you need to go away. Okay. So, uh, you you do a lot of traveling. What do you do for a living to that allows you to to do all this traveling? So I'm a I'm a strategy consultant. Um, which I'm still trying to work out exactly what that is, but, but essentially it's uh, you know it's, it's project-based work. So if I'm not on a project, I'm kind of interchangeable. 
so I can I can get unpaid leave. It is uh, unfortunately unpaid leave, but but I can do it. Sure. Um, which allows me to get kind of more holiday days than than kind of in in most jobs. So I that's that's a big kind of attractor. Right. For me. You don't you don't have a nine to five. Uh, no, it's uh, well usually it's working working late. You know, it's quite hard work when I'm there, so it's good to right. take a break. Um, so lots of long hours, but but when I'm away, I'm away. No one calls me. No one emails me. They don't need me there. Gotcha. So I can be away for four weeks and it, it doesn't impact the, the business. That's so. good because uh, trying to work while you're while you're herping somewhere remote is a, a challenge. Yeah. So what did, what did you where did you start when you decided you needed to go out into the world and find more, so, more cool herps? Me and a friend uh, who also worked at that that kind of small zoo, uh, we both wanted to go out. We were eighteen when I did my first first kind of trip alone, and so we went we went out to Thailand and, and Indonesia. So it's relatively cheap, other than the the airfares. Um, yeah, once you get there, it's cheap. Yeah, yeah. And we we didn't know what we were doing. We we had no idea. Uh, we had a little bit of help in some places from certain people, but we didn't find much. I mean, we were in total Thailand and Indonesia. We were there for four weeks, and you know we didn't find that many snakes. <laughs> I see. Um, but we went to Komodo Island, which you know you can't really fail to see the Komodo dragons. Right, and that's um, a pilgrimage. Yeah, anybody listening to this is probably interested in doing. Yeah, and the the dive I I would always recommend getting a dive boat as well if you're interested in diving because you know you can do a dive and see manta rays and sharks and uh, all sorts of things. There's dolphins, you know, around, and then you go onto the island, see the komodo dragons, and if you're lucky, uh, we failed at this. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of failure, uh, but you know you can get the the uh, deboya there as well as the spitting cobras. Okay, the Russell's viper and yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, as well as the blue pit viper. Yeah, that blue pit viper is pretty spectacular. Did you find that? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> but that was that was years ago. I need to go back and try again. Try now again. I know what I'd, more of what I'm doing. Hopefully, but well, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. You know, there's not nobody listening to this that hasn't experienced failure, and uh, you know the the idea that well, we'll just try it again. We'll try to learn something else, or try to get more information and try it again. So yeah, well, fortunately, you saw the at least you saw the dragons, which is uh, yeah. If I hadn't amazing. seen those, that, <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> well, maybe you should take up stamp collecting. Then. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> maybe herping isn't your game. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's a pretty good. So you're you're out of the box pretty strong here with the trips to Komodo and yeah. things like that. So, and and since then you've traveled quite a few different places. Yeah. So mainly in uh, Asia and Africa, um, but a few trips to kind of Costa Rica and you know sitting here in Peru. Um, and you've been here to Peru before. This yes. is your second trip, correct? Yeah, six years ago I came, and it was a good time. So. Had still had some things you wanted to find here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we managed a smooth fronted Cayman a couple of days ago, which was high on my list. So yeah, you're you're interested in the smaller. Well, you're interested in all crocodilians. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've done quite a few trips to to kind of Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, you know, Southeast Asia in general. There's lots of really beautiful things to see. Um, you and I have been to some of the same places. 
Yeah. 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 There's some, there's some hot spots for things like king cobras and, and blue coral snakes. Um, but I, when I go away, I try to, it's great to see everything, but I try to have a couple of target species that I really want to see. And if I don't get them, I'll, I'll go back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it took me two trips to, to get a blue coral snake, you know, um, we still only got it on the, on the last night of the last day we were there in Malaysia. In Malaysia, yeah, mm-hmm. at about two a.m. Um, oh my! <laughs> just we were just coming back up, giving up, uh, and then it was sitting there on the road. So, yay! Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think the biggest the biggest thing I learned from my first trips to to now is just sheer determination. As long as you know you're in the right place, you know they've been found there. Like even if the weather's not right for it when you know you're there so just get out there get out there and don't come back until really <laughs> late <laughs> yeah yeah you have to change your your like you say you have to change your sleep schedule and yeah um, go nocturnal yeah um, uh, and uh it's it's not just being in the right place at the right time it's being in the right place at you don't know if it's the right time so you have to keep being at the right place over and over <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so, yeah and you start to you start to learn tricks, and sometimes when you go back to places, it's so much easier to find things. Um, I mean, blue blue coral snakes. What I'd say is misty, cool nights. If 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 you're shining your torch and it's kind of thick fog, yeah, that's, that's when you find them. Um, and you can find multiple ones on on nights like that if you're in the right right place. That's the night they're out and moving around. Yeah, we look. We I we were uh, I I spent. I think five days in Malaysia, and uh, that was one of the target species. And we had a few nights up uh, in Fraser's Hill, uh, Bukit Fraser up there in the mountains. And there were there were some nights like that with a really heavy fog. And we didn't get that one. We we got another one. We got the other uh, uh, intestinalis. I can't think of the common name of that coral snake. Yeah, it's, it's red. And it's beautiful, um, but uh, took several nights to to turn one of those up. So yeah. And there's, I mean, there's all sorts of things up there. Uh, I haven't seen them there, but you know, there's records of king cobras right near the top of the top of the hill, as well as yeah, a vophis and strange things keep popping up. There's there are tigers there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When we were there, somebody had had a tiger in their yard like the night before. Wow. Pretty close to the to the town. Yeah. So. We, we when we got the blue coral snake about two a.m. We were driving back up, and there was just a black leopard just kind of crossed the road and went straight up. Wow! Um, I didn't believe it was a leopard. I kind of, I saw it because uh, I was like, nah, the chances of seeing a melanistic one. And then I looked it up, and all of the I think almost all of the leopards in Peninsular Malaysia are melanistic. Oh, so really? I was like, oh, okay. That that, that makes right. a lot more sense. Huh? Very cool. Do you have Do you have a favorite place? What What's What's um, been a favorite place for you? It depends on whether it's a you know a nice place to be or it's kind of cool stuff to find. So I I love um, African herbs and and snakes. The, there's some really spectacular things there. You know the Atheris, the Atheris speeda, um, the mambas, especially Western green mambas are are really beautiful. Uh, the rhinoceros vipers, the kaboon vipers, like all of this stuff is spectacular um and when you find something like that it's really exciting 
they're they're generally hard to find and but it's it's kind of harder work i find in africa um in terms of a lot of forest has been destroyed yeah um if it's not being destroyed it's probably a national park you probably can't go in there at night and certainly without a guide and may not be able to walk alone yeah uh, so it's pretty you know in, in some places for, for very good reason you know forest elephants and things like that but in other right. places it's it's still kind of not allowed so it's hard to find the right places to go and then you know they're, they're set up for uh, mammal watching and safaris so you know it, it can be expensive to go into a national park and right it can be fifty dollars a day per person plus thirty dollars for the car plus five dollar camping fee um so it you know it adds up yeah, if you want to be if you want to be somewhere for a few days uh especially if you're not allowed to go out at night technically um and that in terms of accommodation there's the big expensive safari lodges which are beautiful but they're very expensive yeah um or you've got the local hotels uh which are often not in the right places or you have to drive away to get there or you can camp but you spend so much time looking after yourself buying food cooking food right not sleeping well that you're in you're not in a good state to <laughs> right yeah um and that that that's problematic it's it's not like you can just go to the gas station and yeah and get a gas station pizza or a, a roller dog or yeah something like that you're gonna have to plan ahead and bring food you can cook or, or eat right there on the spot so yeah hmm. so so it can be it can be difficult to find the right places and also in terms of you know there's a lot of things that you can find most easily in in farmland and disturbed areas but you know perhaps understandably the people there are quite suspicious of you walking around in their fields uh you you would have an issue if you didn't have permission to be there um so you know in in asia typically in thailand if you're walking through someone's paddy field looking for um brussels vipers uh they might see you and say what are you doing and if you say you're looking for snakes they'll generally say oh cool have you found any <laughs> they don't mind oh really um but but in africa that that you know culturally it's it's just a little bit different so in Africa, you've been to Ghana and uh, what other countries? So I've been to uh, Ghana, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya, and Democratic Republic of Congo. So all of the, I mean, I, I just love rainforest animals and, yeah. and the diversity you get. And, you know, there's all sorts of other things that I, I love. I like arboreal species, things that are green and brightly colored. So, ah. so rainforest is where I tend to tend to go. Which is why we're talking here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so I found some, I mean, Democratic Republic of Congo is a place called Virunga National Park. Um, it's, you know, the, the safety situation varies a lot um, because of the, the kind of rebels and, and things like that. But right. it is the most spectacular place I've ever been. Is that right? Um, mm. It's, you, you climb up a, there's a, I mean, you can see the mountain gorillas there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and the, the permits are actually cheaper than Uganda and Rwanda uh, by a significant amount. So if you do make it over the border, then it's a good place to go see them. And, uh, you know, th this national park has been threatened by uh, oil companies and all sorts of issues. Yeah. But 
there's a volcano there called Nyiragongo, and you can you can climb up it and camp on the edge of the caldera, and it it wow. lights up the sky at, at night. It's red, and you can no feel kidding. the heat, and it's like looking into to hell or something. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> This is how we have fun, folks. Yeah, but <laughs> even better than that is on the way back down. I had, uh, there was an Atheris Nitchii, uh, Great Lakes Bush Viper, crossing oh, the trail. Oh wow! Awesome. So everyone else on the hike was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and you're jumping up and down. Yeah, this thing was pretty, uh, pretty defensive. So yeah, um, I don't know whether it got out of the, the wrong side of bed that morning, but it, it was pretty, pretty mean, unlike most of them. Um, so yeah, you know, finding finding a snake on that volcano was awesome. Um, and yeah. and it's snakes that get your motor running and, and crocs and yeah, I I I'm kind of I mean I don't really have anywhere that I, I would I would call home in terms of you know this is the area I know like the back of my hand. So I don't know every frog species. I'm you know if I go nobody to Africa, does yeah, but. <laughs> I go to Africa, I'm pretty useless at, at a lot of the frogs, but I know the spectacular ones. Right. You know? um, and so, because I, I go to different places quite a lot, I tend to just target the things that really make me go like, wow, that's right. that's amazing. Um, well, there's no shame in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, my motivation for this is see stuff before it before it goes. Right. And so... Yeah. Sadly, gotta, yes, I get it. you got to prioritize. So, for me, it's... Uh, I think there's a lot of spectacular snakes. Um, Have you been back to Madagascar? Uh, yeah, so I I did my dissertation in Madagascar. I, I studied biological sciences at, at university. Okay. Um, and so I did my dissertation on on the Malagasy hognose snakes, which ah. you know, ten years prior or have long prior, they tried to bite my face off. Um, <laughs> I got better at catching them. I got a lot better at catching them. Um, so I did that on that and you know, we saw a lot of stuff there. I was there for eight weeks and you know, huh. just, just just being there in the forest for that amount of time, you, you kind of can't fail to 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 see some good stuff. Right. Um and you kind of learn how to live in the rough a little yeah. bit too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a lot of rice uh. for about <laughs> for about eight weeks. To start with you you kind of get sick of it, and then after a while, you start craving it. I kind of came back and started, <laughs> started eating a lot of rice. Your body is adjusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so Mad Madagascar is great. Um, there's just endemic species everywhere. It's pretty much only endemics. And, yeah, you know, you go to a different mountain, and there's a different suite of chameleons that you see there. But yeah, I I, I tend to try and go for the the really spectacular stuff and so i'll target things and right well there's then there's always plenty of bycatch yeah exactly yeah. i mean and, and that includes everything birds uh mammals um you know on my list is a polar bear uh oh gosh you know uh just as equally as it is a you know a green anaconda or anything like that you know it's not just the herps um you like the charismatic megafauna yeah well the weird stuff Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've seen, I'm very fortunate. I've seen four pangolins now. Oh, wow. Uh, just as bycatch. Yeah. Um, in, in a couple of different countries. Um, and they, you know, that's just so exciting. They're, they're awesome. So anything like that, anything weird, tamanduas and uh, giant anteaters and things like that. That's, I like those. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
just not your average brown bird or yeah or brown rat thing or whatever you want yeah. the, you want the stuff that's weird yeah yeah and i like the, the colorful things the photogenic species um we were fortunate i think it was yesterday someone brought in a Microurus langsdorfi, which was a oh. stunning coral snake. Yeah, Microurus langsdorfi. What can we say about that snake? That's pretty awesome. It's one of the most beautiful coral snakes there is. Yeah, um, I think that that is on par with the kind of electric blue coral snake, and probably the most beautiful alapids. I put western green mambas up there as well with the big scales. Yeah. Well, I remember. Yeah, you know, I think we we're just starting off the trip, and you were telling us, you know, well, I want to see this. Yeah. I want to see a uh, smooth-fronted caiman, and I want to see a uh, Langsdorf's coral snake, and uh, those those went pretty. Qu- those came and went pretty quickly. Yeah. So we're knocking off some of your your primary targets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you come back to somewhere like this, and there is no danger of only finding the same stuff. The diversity yeah. is is so high that no doubt we'll miss stuff that we found last time, but we'll we'll find some. Well, we really yeah. are finding some very different things, and um, yeah, every trip is different. Yeah. I'm sure for you, in places you go back, no matter where they're at, every trip is different in terms of what you see and, and things. Yeah, so. absolutely. And every time you go back, you get a bit better at targeting the species you want. Um, yeah. What's What's in the future for you? What do you What are you hoping to Where are you hoping to go that you haven't gone? Oof. Well. Um, obviously polar bear, bear land, wherever that is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm built for the cold, but, but I'll go. Um, well, I've got a lot of unfinished business. So <laughs> if I don't see what I want to find, I'll, I'll go back. So I've seen a, a DOR, a Zemiops, uh, Carini, um, which is a, just a slightly different species of the, the fees viper. Yeah. Um, in Vietnam. So got to go back for that. Now, when you went, uh, you and I both had our uh, trip to Vietnam. Where did you go in Vietnam? Uh, it was a place near Hanoi, um, up in up in the mountains, where um, we knew there was a record of a, a Zemiops from from uh, about ten, fifteen years ago. That was all we kind of had to go on, and within two hours, we turned up a DOR, but we didn't uh, get the the weather for for them coming out. So sadly, no alive. No. Um, so there's, there's, that's a big target. Um, I'd like to go to Mount Mang to, to look for the Mangshan pit vipers. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. But I, I have no idea of the, the real logistics of getting in there at the right time with the right permissions. And, and yeah, I heard it's right very spot. difficult. Yeah. So, so we'll that's see. sort of your what I would call a Chinese bushmaster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Big, huge. Yeah. Mass. I had no idea how big they were. I'd only seen photographs of them, and uh, the St. Louis Zoo has, I think, a trio of them on display, and they are big. Yeah, snakes. there's a video online of because um, they are in the tourist area. Uh-huh. They have a very restricted range, but they do exist where the boardwalks are and things. Uh, and there's a video online of someone, you know, standing and kind of filming on their phone this this huge one just crossing the boardwalk. Oh my gosh! Um, so they Ooh. got pretty lucky. So yeah, yeah. So th- those two things. Plus, uh, I missed the West African gaboon viper uh, in Ghana recently. So I'd, I'd, I'd definitely go back for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I failed to find uh, Lacassus Manicephala <laughs> like a month ago. So I'll, oh, I'll, the black-headed bushmaster. Yeah, yeah. Those are uh, apparently none were seen last year, other than one DOR. Um, and they're harder to find in the bushmasters we have here, Lachesis muta. Yeah, I don't know if it's the dense, lower density or just apparently they, unless it's raining, you, you don't see them. Okay, least, but but they will sit out there for five five days a week um, in one place yeah but mm. it has to be like rainy 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 huh okay um, yeah we don't see them here if it's dry it, it usually takes rain for them to start moving out and then uh, finding a, a, a spot on the trail to to hunker down and yeah go into ambush mode so yeah. so I'll, I'll, I'll go back for that um what else incidentally we have a, a little uh kocha chirping frog <laughs> Adina Mara Andre uh calling from under the uh uh the the little deck sun deck we're on and then we've got a huge flight of parrots uh, probably par- parakeets or parrotlets that came in and they're making a tremendous racket above our heads so um so that's going to be part of the background of your of your <laughs> uh, episode here Tom <laughs> but uh it, anyway uh it's as far as y- you wrap up you have more sh- uh, targets here in uh, the, uh, the Western Hemisphere. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, you know, the trouble is, I have I have targets, and then you find some, and then you add you add to the list. Yeah, um, but a, a really nice um, speckled speckled rattlesnake um, around Baja would be would be amazing. Oh, okay, so you haven't yeah. been to Mexico yet? Or? No, no. Okay, I mean, I went to Yucatan for not for herping and saw some Drymobius, but that that was it. Okay. Um, and but but I can I'd like to kind of link that in with also you you can go and you can you can kind of snorkel with the bait balls and the striped marlin. Um, oh, Baja. Um, I think it's Magdalena Bay. You you, you know go okay. right out there. Um, so you're into the diving and snorkeling as well. Yeah, yeah. So any, anything that I think is kind of spectacular, I'll I'll try and find. So seeing some striped marlin, you know hunting down a bait ball or you know orcas or blue whales or whale sharks or anything like that i'm you know just as just as keen to see as, as okay. you know a bushmaster what about the the us have you herped the us much um i spent a day in new jersey uh, a friend of mine kind of very kindly helped me out by you know showing me some some of the timber rattlesnake dens oh nice we, we saw we saw around 20 and it's kind of strange. You kind of climb up the rock and you hear a buzzing and then you see the rattlesnake and then you realize there's actually five kind of all, all around you. Um, Welcome to the United States. Yeah. So that, that was great. Um, I spent a day in Dallas on work and drove down and we, we got a Cretalis Atrox. Okay. Western Diamondback. Very good. But other than that, not... Not so much. I, a little bit in Florida years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So there's more to, you, you're going to come back to the States at some point, get yeah. some things. Yeah. I still haven't seen a, seen a copperhead, which is, you know. Oh yeah. Well, we can, we can help <laughs> you with that. Or I've got, if I can't help you with that, I've got friends who can help you with that. Yeah. Well, these parrots are noisy. They, they're, they're parrotlets of some sort. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not up on these, on the citizens, but uh, this one about 10 foot away from us right now, making a racket. So, so you, you've, you've kind of started in Asia and just sort of worked your way to Africa and then now you're coming over to the, 
South American and working your way northwards. Yeah. Is that sort of the plan? Pretty much, yeah. I um I mean especially, you know, during during the last two years, Asia's been pretty much shut. Yeah. Um Australia's been been shut. Um yeah, there's you know, I want to see a Moloch and a Parenti. Um, yeah. and there's a few things there uh I need to go for. Um but Africa has been it, it's somewhere that because it is hard work fewer people have have kind of herped there and and worked it out and so it's it's really satisfying to to kind of work out how to find something right you know? and and especially if you can do it without you know basically someone kind of a local guy just saying there it is right you know if you yeah. can if you can work it out i find that satisfying it's kind of like a it's a problem to solve and a puzzle you think about what the behavior is what the habitat is you go on a hunch and when you find it it's it's really special. Um, I, I don't hear that from everybody, but I, I hear that from some of the people I talk with, the, the same thing, the, the idea of working it out yeah, and the satisfaction that comes with finding your target after you put effort into yeah. figuring out how it lives, how it behaves. Yeah. And sometimes it takes two trips or, <laughs> or you know, you, you, you only f- figure it out in the last couple of days and so you've got to co- go back. Um, and sometimes it, it happens very easily. Um, I I got super lucky about about two months ago. I was I was looking on Google Google Earth somewhere to try and find a black mamba in Kenya. Found somewhere that I thought looked really good. Um, got got to Kenya, and because it was a drought, all the leaves were off the trees. But it was just the start of the wet season, so you could see and. It took half an hour on the first morning, and there was a black mamba with two boomslung in the same tree. Oh wow! Uh, just you know, just lucky. I mean, most of the time, <laughs> either either it takes longer than that, or you or you may not even get it. But um, you know, sometimes it works out, which is yeah, it's, it's pretty satisfying. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, and had you seen the the boomslangs before? Was that new for you too? So I saw I saw a boomslang in Ghana. Okay. as well um but i'm just starting to to kind of get the hang of how to find these kind of fast arboreal snakes in africa right um the 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 trick is um the, the birds will let you know where they are ah uh, so you 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 can walk for hours trying to look for mambas and there's a good chance you won't see one you need to look high they don't re- they do come down but you you got to be lucky Okay. Um, and, and that's kind of unlikely. Uh, so if you want to maximize your chances, you walk, you look high. Uh, in the mid-morning, they'll come and they'll bask on kind of terminal branches. Um, but most of the time, you're walking and you hear three to four species of birds going crazy. Ah. Right in one tree, one area. And if you go over there and you don't see a snake, then keep looking because there's a snake there. You just, you just haven't seen it yet. The birds know it's there. Um, if they're right in, you know, right in one place, all three or four species calling. Um, so in Ghana, that's how we, how I got a, a boom slung. Um, okay. I heard them calling, went over, but most of the time it's mambas. Most of the time it's the, the, you can, you know, in Uganda, you get the Jameson's mambas and in, in Ghana, you get the Western green mambas. Um, most of the time you hear birds doing that. There'll be a mamba there. So let me ask you about when you find a, a mamba. Uh, you say mamba, I say mamba. <laughs> all right. Uh, cheers to regional accents. 
Um, when you find one, what what's you want to take a photo of it? Obviously, so what do you do? Is it up in the tree? Is it too high? Do you need a big long lens? Do you get it down? What? Yeah. So you, I mean, I would say about thirty percent of the the mambas I've seen, um, which is which is a fair number now, um, all different species. About thirty percent were somewhere that you know you could feasibly grab it with tongs without having to climb a tree. Oh, okay. So the simplest thing to do is just find a lot of mambas, and eventually you'll find one where you can grab it with the tongs, take it down, and then then you've got to work out what you can do with it. But you know, if it's too high, then I would generally just take a a picture in situ. Right. Just, just try and, I mean, it will be moving. As soon as you see it, it's probably moving away and going back in, um, okay. unless it's being really distracted by the birds. So, you you know, that's, you know, get a photo so you've got a, a shot of it. And right. Just, Safety know. shot. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you're lucky, it'll be in a group of trees that's not, you know, if you see one in the forest, it's gone. I mean, just take a oh. picture. I mean, that's, and, it, and it's up high. Even if you climb the tree, by the time you get up there, it's it's gone. It's in the next tree. If you're if it's in a few a few trees, often they you know the five or six trees kind of together and away from everything else, then one thing you can do is start shaking the tree a bit, and oftentimes they'll eventually you'll you have to kind of chase them around the different trees, keep an okay. eye on them, yeah, and eventually they're going to drop down. You don't want it dropping on your head, but it'll, it'll no. fall down, and you can you can you can grab them then, or you can uh, climb the tree. I I don't climb the trees. I, I don't <laughs> want to deal with the mamba. But but you know the the guys at so Bayaken Snake Farm in Kenya, they you know their job is to catch mambas when people when people phone them up, and so they have to catch a hundred percent of the mambas. They can't just catch thirty percent and say well. You know, it was the easier ones and it was safe. Better luck next time. Yeah. yeah. So they, they, those guys climb trees and they're amazing at it. And I've seen them, huh. you know, climb a, uh, you know, I was, I just took a photo of it and the guy was like, no, we'll, we'll get it. And he climbs 10 meters up, balancing on two branches and grabs a snake and he gets it behind the head after getting it with the tongs and climbs down kind of in the tree. Yeah. Climbs down one handed. So I, I don't, I mean, handing members don't recommend anyway but definitely i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend that no i mean i i don't want to handle one on the ground much less one-handed in a tree yeah yeah that's amazing but they you know they're, they're really fast and whippy and you need snake tongs if you're going to even think of doing anything with them and you you need to be very comfortable before you you do that yeah uh, well how do you how did you become comfortable i mean was there were there was there an elapid that you worked with or, or saw enough that you became comfortable with the idea of of uh, trying to get these uh, photograph and, and see these these mambas and other uh, tree snakes up close? Is there? Yeah, I mean, how'd that I, work out. I mean, I kind of spent some time with what you know captive venomous snakes, mm-hmm. so I knew I had I had the confidence that I kind of roughly, hopefully, knew what they were going to do most of the time. Um, and a lot of it is about confidence, but not too much confidence <laughs> or confidence, not complacency, you know? Yeah. Um, but also, you know, if the snake gets away, it gets away. Like it's not right. worth, you know, don't do anything stupid because, because it's going to get away. Even if it's a really good snake, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the moment, but just let it go. I mean, um, 
so I'd, I'd had a fair number of kind of captive snakes and that included mambas so okay and and once you kind of get used to them they're not that bad i'd say the forest cobras are much worse because they're really strong so you grab a mamba with the tongs it's not getting out but that's very interesting i have no you know i've not been to africa i have zero experience with larger lapids other than a few cobras here and there so yeah the the, the cobras in asia generally generally don't open their mouths when they strike they kind yeah. of will sit there. The the forest cobras are they'll open their mouths and they're kind of kind of mean. But now I, I've I've heard that the forest cobras are uh, a a bit to handle. They're a, they're a lot. Yeah, I think those those are. I would I would consider them the most difficult thing out there. The mambas you can just grab them with tongs. Forest cobras if you grab them with tongs. If it's a big one, it can probably still push its way through them unless you're really squeezing it, which is not the not yeah. thing to be doing so yeah they, they, those are kind of worse but but all of these snakes i mean the forest cobras once you catch them they will hood up and sit okay and the even and the mambas the thing to do really is tire them out as long as it's not sunny you know you don't want to overheat the snake right but but if you can if you can take it a big open place let it run a little bit eventually it will it will, it will be able to be posed um, okay. for a nice photo um you let it crawl around and yeah and they just want to get away i mean right you, you put yeah. a black mamba on the floor and it's fast but it's it's going right away from you yeah it's it's not attacking you or any of that no. nonsense no, so. no. all right well i i want to thank you for coming on the show uh it's it's been kind of fun to to talk with you and, and get to know you a little better and uh spend some time out in the field with you and so uh, i like we're just on what day three or day four of this uh trip so i look forward to spending some more time with you this week and uh, appreciate you coming on the show and telling everybody how you got into this and what it is you do there's a lot of people probably jealous right now that all the traveling you get to do so um but you know that's uh when you have an opportunity you you make the most of it right yeah yeah exactly i think with you know all the difficulties difficulties with covid etc if you if you look at where you if you look at the kind of government websites of where you can go there's there's always somewhere you can go and so yeah you can you know mexico has, has been a, a good place um yeah i went three times last year it's just yeah. it easy f to get into from the united states and uh easy yeah. to get home from without too much trouble so yeah take the opportunities when you can yeah well uh hopefully um uh, maybe i'll get to uh, see you in mexico sometime one of some kind of baja trip or something or sounds good to somewhere me else so. turn up some mole lizards oh yes oh, there you go <laughs> I Another, hear you got to go to the trash piles for them so yeah yeah the the uh bipes biporus yeah the or the little uh, pink worm lizards uh, with uh, only front feet, and uh, they they tend to p hang out. In, uh, our first one that I, I saw was under a cardboard box, um, piece of wet cardboard. So yeah, beautiful habitat. Yeah, lots lots of trash, and a lot of the folks down there are kind of terrified of those things. So because uh, there's a the terrible le terrible legend of those things, you know, crawling inside body orifices and while you're <laughs> sleeping at night. So. <laughs> it's a great story. You can't make that stuff up. Or, well, maybe you can't. I don't know.
Well, anyway, thank you again for, t- for coming on the show, Tom. And uh, good luck to you on the rest of the trip for uh, all of the remaining targets you have, which I think are maybe uh, Anaconda. Uh, yeah, Anaconda. I'm going to Columbia afterwards, so hopefully okay. that that should be easier there. Um, but I, you know, Bushmaster, the Emerald Pit Viper. We'll see what we get, and then just say that was the target afterwards. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, sh- I should mention too. Uh, um, you came here from Argentina where you were doing some stuff and now, and now you're heading, you're not heading home. You're heading to yet another destination. So yeah. you're, you're really packing it in now. So <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you. Right. Pleasure. Hello again, everyone. I am once again, speaking to you from the Peruvian Amazon. I'm on the back deck of my Tambo. And this afternoon I am talking with, Greg Stevens and Nick Bergmeier, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, so I, I have Nick, you have come on the show. I forget the episode number, but it was in the single digits, I believe. I think it was number eight. Number my eight. Guess. And we talked to you about Hellbenders. And uh, Greg, I recorded a show with you in your house. Yeah. Uh, at uh, It was going to be called... Uh, Snow dogs or, or uh, uh, something with at Greg and Dina's or whatever, but uh, but the quality was not there. Yeah, uh, had there's too many people. Um, it, it was it was not even PG rated. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll have to do another one of those sometime the next time uh, we come over to Indiana and then hang out. So yeah, sounds good. So it's good to have you both back on the show, even though you're going to be uh, facing the, the podcast for the first time, Greg. So. <laughs> Anyway, here we are in wonderful Peru. I finally uh, talked you guys into coming down and uh, and spending a week or, or ten days down here, and uh, it's it's baked into the show, so everybody knows. I'm not, you know, I'd love it if everybody that listened to the show came down uh, twelve at a time, please. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a commercial or anything. It's just this is part of the fabric of the show. Uh, so I uh, take the opportunity to talk to people I normally wouldn't get a chance to talk to, like I talked to Tom Williams, and uh, got some other guests lined up that I, I. It's just better to talk in person, and we get the ambient jungle shout, sounds and things like that. So, but you guys, I can talk to anytime I want, but it's still fun to talk to you down here. So, uh, so before we find out how you both got into this mess, uh, let, let's talk about a little bit about your experiences here in Peru. It's uh, about close to 90 right now it's probably going to be about 95 today it's going to be a really hot day the sun's out and we're not we may not get rain till later today so uh we're out here baking and hoping for a little bit of a breeze yeah it's been a little warmer than i expected like constantly because of little lack of rain this season so it's uh but it's been awesome and the bugs are not near as bad as i was expecting so that's been a plus yeah, I mean it's it's been a great trip so far. It's you know it's not my first time in the jungle, but it's probably my first time this deep in the jungle, and and uh, I'm really loving that constant humidity and and <laughs> dampness, and Mike constantly tormenting me with a pool today, an imaginary pool. I've been thinking board. about that pool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, not just to torment you, I've been thinking about that swimming pool too. So. <laughs> Uh, the idea of the cool water and the chlorine, you know, just basically uh, killing off all the organisms that have invaded my body over the past uh, six days. So, yeah. Uh, but what, uh, if you guys uh, could tell me what, uh, I mean, what's the big, what was your big moment here? How about you, Greg? What was your big moment? Um, 
the best species that I, for me, was the Musarana and the Smooth Front Cayman and the Langsdorf so far. Okay, so um, the Langsdorf's coral snake. Yeah, that was just a fantastic snake. The way the each scale was lined with uh, like black or a different color, and then the white uh, scales behind the yellow bands. Just a lot going on. Very beautiful snake. I think you're lucky. That's a, t- it's a top tier coral snake. We don't normally find those down here on every trip. In fact, I think Matt's got three, and this is my second one. So uh, they don't pop up that that common. In fact, on, so far on this trip, we found some exotic corals, the rare ones, but we haven't found the common ones yet. So we're going to have to hurt better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Nick? So the the Cayman was actually on my list, sort of top three list of the ones I wanted to find. That's the smooth fronted Cayman. Yeah, the right? smooth fronted Cayman. But my list is pretty much the same as Greg's. The the Musarana that is the biggest snake I have ever seen in the wild. So that was that was impressive. But you know, I'm maybe veering away from the herps. I have really enjoyed my opportunity to play with all these tarantula species down here and and get to see those. So that's that's high up on my list. And it's I guess I didn't realize how much we were going to see those. So well, we're allowed to drift away from herps a little bit as mm-hmm. long as it's not birds. Uh, uh, that's not a problem with me. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, the tarantulas are pretty spectacular. It's fun to, to watch you, uh, get all excited about the various, uh, species that we have. And I don't, I'm not an expert on anything, but, uh, so I was listening closely while you were talking about what we were finding. So the only ones I know are like the pink toe and the Peruvian black, but, uh. Yeah, there's a few down here that I don't, I don't recognize. I'm interested when I go home and look at the photos to see, you know, exactly what these are. And I might have to post them on, on a forum to for someone to identify me or identify them. Cause there's, there's at least one that I don't recognize, you know, from the pet trade that one with the, the Brown and the yellow rings around its knees. I don't really recognize that one. So, okay. So insects and uh, the Musharana comes up a lot. What the, it was the uh, first night of the trip. Uh, technically, I guess the first night of the trip, we, we haven't left Iquitos yet. We had had a van. We were actually road cruising in the Amazon, which is a, you know, uh, there's not many opportunities to do that uh, until they, you know, fill the Amazon with roads. But uh, the Mosherana was uh, all black, white belly, and eight feet long. So it was an impressive animal. And you had never seen that one, right? No, no. So, and that is now the largest colubrid I've seen too. So, like many people on a trip. Yeah, between that and the uh, the red tail. Uh, six foot plus red tail that day, uh, four, over 14 foot of snake and two snakes was, uh, a good introduction to the jungle. I mean, that was, that was fun. Yeah. So let me, let's, uh, let's go back. Um, uh, and again, I'm going to start with you, your, uh, Greg, your radio directly in front of me. Uh, and, uh, so how, how the heck did you ever get involved in amphibians and reptiles? What, 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 uh, spurred your interest? Well, I grew up in the country in Southern Indiana and they were always around and, um, the frogs and salamanders, uh, find them in the creeks and really didn't get into IDing them or anything. And then my family is historically afraid of snakes so that, uh, my grandparents' house has a small farm ditch behind it and the, the yard is a hibernacula for uh, garter snakes, Eastern garters. And, um, I just remember going out there as a kid and with everybody telling me not to go out there and play with the snakes, it was too hard not to. And I just okay. found a board one day that had washed up, flipped it, 
and there was a garter snake underneath it and just got to hold it. And really ever since then liked catching everything and seeing it, but really didn't get into IDing uh, much as far as like listing and life list stuff until I got into college. And, uh, what, what is your background, your educational background? There? I got the bachelor's at uh, Purdue university, um, in the division of forestry and national resource with wildlife management. Very good. I I've been lucky enough to help you with some rattlesnake surveys way back in the past. It was a lot of fun to walk around with you and radio track beautiful timber rattlesnakes in the Indiana forest. So that was t- uh, some of the best things that I've, I've ever done in terms of herping. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was awesome to be able to to work with them daily and um, watch their movements and their behaviors. Um, up until that time, I'd only seen a handful of timber rattlesnakes in the wild and um, really gives you a search image and uh, also gives you a never believe all the field guides as far as uh where they do den up and where they're always found because we had dens facing south we had uh, a lot of times when the rattlesnakes were going to shed they were lower on the hills on north facing slopes where it was just your not your typical uh spot for a midwestern rattlesnake cool and shady yes yeah yeah, I, uh, that's one of the things I learned from the. It's funny, you know, just from this short period of time I, I hung out with you uh, for this tracking stuff, I learned so much. And that, that whole year, I found more timber rattlesnakes on my own later that year than I had any other year. Yeah. It, it, it kind of got the search image and it uh, stuck in my mind for that, that season. And I, I did quite well. So it's amazing how you can just kind of scan. Uh, possible feeding areas, especially looking for them along the logs with their head up or the larger timbers, uh, possibly with their head up on a, uh, oak tree or hickory tree, uh, hunting squirrel. Yeah. They, they quail at the base. Yep. So it's, it's gotta be a, a, a tree with a mass crop, right? It's mm-hmm. gonna be a hickory or something with the nuts or whatever. Yeah. Acorns. And, uh, they, they coil at the base and with their head cocked back a little bit and they're ready for something to come down the tree or maybe around the tree. Yep. Yeah, and uh, we had uh, at least twice, I believe, saw um, one in hunting position for multiple days um, at, at the same tree. And then all of a sudden, next time we tracked it, it was in a totally different area um, with a full belly, uh-huh. just uh, in more of a basking and um, safety mode. Okay. Working to digest. It was kind of tucked up in digest mode. Yep. Digestion mode. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. So it's obviously a tactic that works for the for the patient ambush predator. Yeah. Yeah. And a four-foot timber rattlesnake has no trouble with a, an eastern gray squirrel. No, definitely not. No. Very good. And and uh, I, I can't recall, you were involved with other tracking projects. What else were you involved with? We did um, the box turtle tracking. Oh, okay. Uh, at the same time as we did the turtle track or timber tracking. Um, Nick and I didn't do as much with the box turtles because our coworkers were more comfortable with the box turtles and less comfortable with the timbers, which was fine for us. We got to spend a lot more time with the timbers. And then, um, I've helped Nick out on his, uh, come down and helped him out with the hellbender projects on different things, uh, multiple times really enjoy getting down there on the river. So it's, you guys, we'll get to Nick in a minute here, but 
you guys have had a unique situation where you've been able to enjoy the herpetofauna where you grew up, get your your education and work in the state of your birth, and uh, not have to you know move to the other side of the uh, country or something to do the work. You've been able to stay local, and you've uh, been in proximity to each other. You're you're good buddies, and uh, you've done a lot of things together. So that's that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, once we met in college, we really started hanging out a lot and doing a lot of herping and uh, snake road trips. Of uh, course, was always on the list when we had the time. So we've been to Florida, Kansas, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, a lot of different trips now together. So yeah, all right. And you're married, and your wife Dina, and you got two kids. Yep, Scott and Kendall. Uh, Scott's seven, and Kendall's ten. Very good. You have and, a lovely home in the woods, or near the woods, I should say. Yeah, we got 15 yeah. acres and uh, really enjoy living out there and being able to do what we want on our land, be it herping or fishing in our pond. Or yeah, last time hunting. I was out of your house, we got a, a nice milk snake in your in your shed. Yeah. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's nice when you have to, you know, one of the problems is going out and checking your mower to make sure you don't have a snake sitting anywhere on it to where you have to take care of my black rats and my milk snakes that uh, help take care of the mice. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, let me shift over here to Nick, who's on my radio right. Um, welcome back to the show, Nick. And uh, why don't you tell us, take us through your your journey to where you are? Uh, I think my journey started very young. I I have was interested in insects and spiders pretty much my entire childhood. But my first herp experience that I remember... So I was at a family reunion, and I was on a, the road with one of my cousins, and we found a four to five foot DOR black rat snake. And I was just a child. I picked it up, started playing with it, and its its teeth got caught in my shorts. So I wandered back to the family reunion with this snake attached to my leg. And and after the <laughs> after the initial shock from my family, they realized it was it was dead and got lots of photos of it. And that's that's really what I remember as my first herp experience. I really enjoyed that that dead uh, black rat snake. And at that point, or after that point, I I started. You know, I was always playing in my garden. I had access to a lot of ringneck snakes in my yard, and my dad had a friend that had a property that was just loaded with with various uh, fence lizards and skinks. So I could always go out there and, and catch those. And I kept a few of them as pets. And and yeah, that's really how it started. I didn't really get into salamanders until a little bit a little bit later. I was out flipping rocks again, looking for snakes and, and insects, and I found a spotted salamander and was like, oh this thing is this thing is really cool. And and then we had a cave nearby or a tunnel rather nearby that had cave salamanders in it. So those are really my first introduction to to salamanders and and ever since then I was really just chasing around. I had a friend that he, he's not really a herper, but he did at that point really enjoyed going out and just looking for for critters. Uh, it's kind of a common thing when you're a kid, you know. Yeah. Not everybody sticks with it, but yeah, it's common. Yeah, so we just and I I lived next to I grew up uh the, the last house on a road before you got to a a cemetery which was adjacent to a a large fish and wildlife area, uh, mostly forested with a nice nice river running through it and and that the aforementioned tunnel with with the cave salamanders. So we had a lot of access to to public land to get out and and look for herps and and uh, you ever find stuff in the graveyard? 
yeah, we found we had racers in the graveyard. The ringneck snakes uh, were we found a lot of those in the graveyard. Uh, we had box turtles occasionally that wandered through there, rat snakes. So, so yeah, we had access to some good stuff down there. And then, so then your education, give us, tell us about your education. Then. Well, I, I did my undergrad at Purdue University with Greg. We, we are, we're actually the same year. I think we met our sophomore year. And then at that point, you know, we just, we just continued through during the Herp thing. I think he actually got me a volunteer position with, with uh, Dr. Rod Williams, who, who was my current employer. And then I, I left after, after I graduated from my, my undergrad and worked for a year for the Indiana Department of Natural Resources herpetologist and then went back and got my master's from Purdue. And, and we talked about that a lot on the other episode. I, right. I did my master's uh, in forestry and natural resources with, with the hellbenders. And then the hellbenders thing has been your, your primary focus uh, since that point? Well, I did I did the three years with the Hellbenders from roughly 2007 through 2010, and then I did I did leave the the herp herp world specifically, and and was a bat biologist for about five years as a consultant, and doing bat biology and and some freshwater mussel work uh, and wetland work, and then I came back in 2015 to do the the Hellbender reintroductions, and and that's where I've been since. Wow, so you're pretty well-rounded in your your wildlife experiences. Yeah, I've got a lot of, uh, you know, I I have focused heavily. Land, sea, and air. Yeah, (laughs) yep. I've I've focused heavily on the herp stuff, but I've also done some mammal jobs. I did a a wood rat job for a few months, and I helped helped train some people on radio tracking moose out in Colorado, and I did a lynx project in Colorado and, and the bat stuff, and then freshwater mussels and but Holy cow. I've I've generally focused on the herps when when possible. Okay, so now at current currently you're still involved with Hellbender uh, reintroduction projects. Yeah, current currently I am the the research biologist and an extension wildlife specialist with the Hellbender project at Purdue University. So I'm in charge of all the all the field work and most of the outreach and education work uh, that we do. Uh, and I've had the privilege of being out in the field with you guys uh, in many different uh, trips. Uh, I've, I helped you with rattlesnakes, Greg's, mm-hmm. a little bit. And I got to help you with some uh, hellbender stuff back in the day, uh, some, doing some uh, survey work and uh, doing some things that we you don't do anymore. You don't, uh, don't get out there and lift big flat rocks looking for hellbenders anymore. No, we, the, the hellbender world... You know, for the last several decades, was pretty focused on you know catching adult hellbenders and flipping these giant rocks. But as time went by, really within about the last decade, we sort of realized that we were, you know, the researchers, the people that were out there working with hellbenders, uh, we were potentially damaging some of that habitat. It's difficult in the water to get the get the rocks back exactly how you need them to be. Uh, and it sort of alters the the water flow, the hydrodynamics under the rock, uh, and so so we've all sort of shifted away from that rock flipping mentality, and we've we've really moved just into snorkeling and and you know looking under the rocks with goggles and flashlights and and trying to get the animals that way. Uh, I mean, we can flip rocks if we really need to f- really need to pull an animal out, but for the most part, we just we just do the non invasive snorkel surveys. And, and I want to. Stop, not stop there, but I wanted to make a point that, you know, it's a big target animal in the, in the field herping community, but, you know, we're begging you, don't go flip rocks in, in a river. 
Um, you can snorkel for them. You might even be able to see them moving around very shallow creeks at certain times of the day. But you know, please, please leave the rocks alone so that the hellbenders can you can maintain their 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 not only their their hides but places where they may deposit eggs. You may disturb egg egg. Uh, crevices and things like that so yeah that is that is a good point we we definitely one of the the main things is that you know hellbenders use these they really need a specific quality of rock for for the nest rocks they they like them to be really kind of embedded with only a single entrance uh usually facing downstream or maybe out uh sort of per- or perpendicular to the stream and when you flip those rocks uh, it, it definitely unembeds the back of the rock, and it usually allows flow under there. And that's usually the the males will not choose those rocks anymore as as nest rocks. We do know of some places where there were there were good nest rocks, and and multiple other researchers have mentioned this. And those rocks got flipped. Hellbenders never used them again, even if they had used them for many years prior. And they will use the same rocks over and over again for nesting. So yeah, we we do really in, encourage people to or rather discourage people from from flipping the rocks at this point. Yeah, and, and the the times I I was able to help do that, I feel like as as fortunate as I could be to be able to do that because you were catching hellbenders in order to put transmitters in them in order to understand the population dynamics in the streams and of course hellbenders are kind of hanging on by their their slimy little fingers in Indiana. So it was important work to to get the hellbenders understand, you know, and and take some data on all the, all the critters too. You were taking chytrid data and things like that. And I know we talked about this in another po- podcast, but I just think it's, you know, uh, a, a fascinating subject. And uh, I feel so lucky to be a part of that and ha- actually have helped to catch a few uh, hellbenders along the way and and uh, just uh, observe uh, scientists at work too. It was fun taking data and. Kittred swabs and you know length, uh, weight and measurements and uh, things like that. So yeah, yeah, I think you came out at the time when we were we were basically doing it all. We were doing kittred. We were taking blood samples. We we were inserting or surgically implanting the the radio transmitters. So you kind of you you really got to see the the bulk of that early work we did before we had really before we had decided to reintroduce hellbenders. We were getting that population estimate down and. And uh, that work really led into what we do now. Okay. And so for those of you listening to this that want to hear more about the the Hellbender work that Nick did, please check out the episode, which was eight? I, I think it was eight. eight. It might have been seven, but I, I think it was eight. Yeah. So way back a few years ago. <laughs> so, but uh, what else do you, in terms of Herps, uh, you know, you guys get out in your, in your free time and uh uh, what do you enjoy looking for in Indiana and the surrounding areas? You know, when you do leisure time herping, I where where I currently live, I have pretty good exposure to uh, a lot of the ambistomatid migrations. There's there's a spot near me that gets gets good Jefferson salamander and good spotted salamander migrations. So I do like to get out there when I get the chance to to see those guys moving in, into the ponds. Um, outside of that. Uh, you know, in the summer, I'm pretty pretty full up on hellbender work, so that is my major focus. But Greg usually tries to pull me out at some point to hopefully get up and. And recently, you know, last year, earlier this year, we all, we all got together and we got to see the the timber rattlesnake, which was the first time I got to see one of those in a long time. So that was that was a good time. Yeah, it's uh for me, it's a, it's a lot based on what time of year it is. I I try and get out in all seasons. Um, I'm 
lucky enough to have access to some private caves on private ground for winter where we can go flip uh, uh, des- uh, dusky salamanders and uh, southern two lines and cave salamanders uh, in the mouth of the caves and springs uh, pretty much all year as long as it's not um, sub-zero for a few days. And then, um, like Nick said, the amistomatid migrations are one of the coolest experiences just to be out in the ponds when there's that many um, salamanders and newts um, and spring peepers calling and the wood frogs. It's just one of my favorite things to do is to be out there at night and just soaking all that in. And then, um, and I enjoy coming over there and, uh, I, I come over and our friends, Justin comes over and sometimes our friend Don comes over and it's just been, we call it snow dog trips because you sometimes, and Marty, don't forget Marty Whalen. Yep. Most valuable herper. Uh, (laughs) it's sometimes when we're out there, it's snowing. Yeah. Uh, but you can still find some stuff on the ponds and things. So. Yeah, the ponds and then the streamside salamanders at that point in the year, they go pretty early. So it's a uh, di- little different ambistomatid that breeds in the streams and um, lays eggs underneath the rocks similar to two lines. So it's uh, really cool to be able to observe those, you know, within an hour of the house. Yeah. And then you like to do... Uh, other trips around uh, the area, um, we've been to Kansas uh, yeah. a few times together. So, Yeah, Kansas was uh, that's just neat, being able to get out there in the spring and see that many snakes in a day. Um, good variety also, but uh, there's just a quantity of snakes out there and getting to meet different people with the KHS meetings and some of their trips is uh, was really fun. Yeah, Kansas was a, a different experience. It was it was really interesting to get out there and see the just the mass quantities of of snakes under every other rock. Uh, we don't we don't really get that usually back home. So so that was much much different than we're used to. Yeah, and I have to say that you know, if you go there in August, you won't find much. But you you go there in May, and and hell's a popping, right? Yep. Yeah. And you never know what's going to be under the rock. It's uh. Could be a lizard, could be m- many different types of snakes and black widows and scorpions and tarantulas. Uh, just fun to flip rocks and see what you can find. And and you're a big fisherman too. Yes. Yeah, I, I enjoy hunting and fishing. Um, the kids love it. It's just something that I've, I grew up doing. My dad was a big fisherman. He worked for a, um, a company called Crop USA Tournament Trails, run uh, national crappie tournaments. So I just kind of grew up in that world. So it's always been a part of my life. And Nick, I don't think you're much of a fisherman as Greg is, are you? I am not a fisherman. That, that was my, that was my brother's thing. I, while he was out fishing, I would be out chasing, chasing bugs, chasing tadpoles. You're the tarantula guy. I I, I am. I am the tarantula guy. I have, I, I, I haven't counted recently, but I've got 22 or 23 tarantulas in my office. So I, uh. I've always I've I've been keeping those since I was about twelve years old. What is it about tarantulas? So when you when you tarantulas, uh, it's it's maybe sort of similar to the the various uh, boa morphs that people really get into. But with tarantulas, you you know you go to the pet store and you see like a rose hair or a or a red knee, and you buy it, and then you get on the internet. And you see all these hundreds of other, you know, various patterns and 
and shapes and sizes and colors. And you're like, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. <laughs> and, and they have different behaviors. Some of them burrow. Some of them are arboreal. Some of them will just uh, sit out all the time. They call those pet rocks. They just literally sit there and almost never move. But yeah, you just, it's, I think it is kind of like that boa mentality where you, you see the different color and you're like, oh, I really, I really want that. Uh, and, and you do end up, you get a little bit of an addicted to it and you start, you buy them and then you get another one. And, and in the tarantula world, uh, a lot of the times the, the vendors will send you free tarantula spiderlings if you order, you know, if you order uh, maybe $100 worth of tarantulas, they'll include a free of another species. Or if you order $200, they include a couple of, of various species. And so you end up amassing this collection of ones that you purchased, but also ones that, that the vendor just included. And, and so it kind of exposes you to new ones and they okay. know what they're doing. Yeah. They, uh, they want to keep you on the hook. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And so you've, obviously you're having fun with the tarantulas down here. Is there a uh, iconic species down here you were hoping to see and you're enjoying? I, I was actually really hoping to see the 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 big Goliath bird eaters at that I I didn't realize how easy that was going to be it it was one of the first ones we saw and they seemed to be everywhere so the first night the three of us walked in the forest there were there were tarantulas everywhere yeah I mean on the ground but everywhere oh yeah yeah I, I've seen a couple of the arboreal uh, pink toes but the the terrestrial ground dwelling tarantulas are uh, you get in these locations where there's just burrows every every few meters. And, and you, you turn around and you see another one there and you poke a stick in there and get the tarantula to, you can fish the tarantulas out if, if they're, they usually retreat to their burrow, but if you can you, get us. You can fish the tarantulas out. Yeah. 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 Some, <laughs> some people can fish the tarantulas out and uh, you, you, the goal there is to try to get the tarantula to think that a stick is food. So they chase the, they chase the stick out of their burrow where you can get a good photo of it and get a good, get some eyes on it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just not my thing. Are you one of those guys that puts them on their, your face and things? I am not. Okay. I, I I generally I don't even hold my pet tarantulas. They they tend tarantulas tend to be pretty uh, sensitive to falls. They have a very soft ad, abdomen. So if you drop your tarantula, at worst, it might actually just uh, put a little. Uh, um, you could you could cause your tarantulas to either have a a slight wound on the that will bleed on the abdomen, or you can pop like an egg if it's a fat body tarantula, and, and there's no coming back from that. You can you can potentially heal one with a small wound, but if they bust like an egg, you got a dead tarantula. So I don't hold mine. You paint a very vivid picture. <laughs> oh yeah, some of these Goliath bird eaters. If you if you drop them, it would it would just be like an egg popping. Um, I did have an experience in Belize on my honeymoon where our guide, <laughs> he, he found a tarantula and he fished it out for us. And that thing rocketed out of that hole and it went, it ran up my leg, ran around my back and perched itself on my shoulder and just sat there. It was a chill tarantula, but it, uh, it came flying out of that hole. Make you think twice about sitting next to him when he's fishing one of those out next time, yeah. won't it? It is yeah. possible you could end up with one on your face. <laughs> Okay. I've been warned. <laughs> it's not that I don't like them. I just don't want them on me. Yeah. You know, I appreciate them, but I just don't think I'm ready for the face thing or the shoulder thing for that matter. So, yeah, I'm not much on holding the uh, large spiders. <laughs> well, and the, the, the tarantulas in the new world, they, they have the, 
extra plus of having urticating hairs on their abdomens, which which they can use as a defense. They kick them off and make this little cloud of hairs, and it's kind of like fiberglass. It gets in your skin or in your eyes, and it causes itching and swelling. If it gets Actually, the Goliath bird eaters are one of the worst. They have some pretty nasty hairs. And if you get them in your eyes, your eyes will swell and itch a lot. So it's best to avoid that. Uh, that is a sort of secondary defense mechanism. The Asian species and the old world species don't have that. They, they don't have the hairs. They just get angry and bite you. Oh, okay. And most of them have a, or can have a stronger venom? Yeah, the old, a lot of the older world, of the old world species do have a, a stronger venom than the new world species. It's, it's not to the level that it's going to bite you and, and kill you, but it, it is possible that it could make you sick. And, and smaller children or maybe immunocompromised folks would, would potentially have to go to the hospital for the old world species. Holy cow. Okay. Also, uh, and, and we're talking... This is Herp Joe, but we're, we've been talking about spiders. We also have some other cool spiders down here in Peru. We have the wandering spiders, uh, which are the ones of the fabled wandering spiders of le- legend that cause uh, 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 problems uh, with people <laughs> uh, when you when you're bit. And uh, the, the big uh, legend of the uh, final priapism that before uh, you know you become inert. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've heard that one many times, and yeah. I don't know how. True it is as far as, or percentage of occurrence when, when somebody is bit, but I don't plan on ever finding out either. Yeah, exactly. And, well, we found a few of those on this trip. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're impressive spiders. They're, they're, uh, they're pr- fairly common. I see them almost as, or, uh, almost as much as a single species of tarantula, uh, but I don't have any intention of, of finding out if that is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, what is, so you're expanding your horizons coming to Peru, but uh, is there other places, where where else have you been, Greg? What's, what's, you've done some uh, Caribbean stuff and what else have you been up to in terms of herps and things? Yeah, we uh, did a family trip on a cruise, uh, stopped at Curaçao off of, uh, I believe, Brazil um, and got an endemic uh, Curaçao whiptail there and um, lots of iguanas. And Mm -hmm. then uh, we went to... Colombia, Panama, and Costa Rica. You um, got some herps there too, didn't you? Yeah, we got a lot of lizard species. I didn't get any snakes on that trip, but we didn't have a lot of time and no right. time at night. Um, got a, the uh, green and black uh, dark frog in Costa Rica. Oh, cool. A uh, nice big one. So that was a highlight of that trip. And um, What what uh, what do you guys, you know, you do a lot of things as a family. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking about next? What? Uh, Unfortunately for me, next is Disney. Which um, oh, oh you, is, can, uh, you can find some herps down there, I'm sure. Oh, I have on previous trips. I found racers and uh, actually got the uh, was it the is it the oak toad that's the bigger one or the better find down in that region? Yeah, they're really it, tiny little. Yeah, oak toads. yeah, we got some of those. Are you sure there weren't animatronic? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were okay. staying at Animation uh, Studios though. So, okay. <laughs> well, beyond Disney. Do you have uh, some uh, other goal in mind? Yeah, my wife and I really have um, a lot of trips on the horizon that we're planning. Um, one of the next big trips for us will be Maine, which will be obviously not very much herp focused there, but um, we really want to get down to uh, Baja and oh, um, yeah. do a Baja trip. And I'd like to combine that with possibly a week of, of herping before or after. And then the family comes down and then... Um, Mm. we want to do some uh 
some of the Caribbean trips and and some of that stuff is kind of our next big trips on the horizon that we're kind of planning for. Yeah, when you got kids coming up, it's it's you got to work this stuff in yeah. as best you can because you've got other priorities, um, other things that you have to get done. So, and lucky for me, my family loves camping. And that's one of our go-to trips is just camping around the state and down in Kentucky. And um, when we camp, my kids love herping. They love getting out and finding stuff. So it's it's a it's a good all-around trip for for us. We get a you know cook a nice uh, dinner over the fire and either go out for a night hike or go out during the day and try and find some stuff during the in the creeks. And they really love creek stomping. And oh yeah. Well, they'll never so. forget that stuff. And even if they don't grow up to be a crazy herper, they'll enjoy, you know, those experiences. Yeah. I, they'll I, have a, you know, they'll, they'll have a respect and understanding of other critters that, you know, maybe that doesn't completely gel as an interest later on, but. Yeah. I, I just want to make or make sure that they respect animals and respect the environment. Um, I don't care if they ever get into herping, but I don't want them to be uh, somebody that promotes the killing of really anything that right. just because they're scared i want to make right. sure that their their eyes are open to the the natural world and that they appreciate it and have a, a deep respect for it okay well before i'm going to ask nick the same question but before we do i just want to point out we had an airplane go over and uh if folks are listening will think i thought they were in the rainforest well we are in the rainforest and we're, we're down river from the big city of iquitos but we're also on the flight path for the Quito's airport. So sometimes planes do come over here. So, and, uh, you know, we're not quite cargo cult with airplanes here, but you know, at the same time, it's, it's a once or twice a day, we get a plane coming over. <laughs> well, how about you, Nick? What, what you have desires for places you want to visit and things you want to see? Yeah, we don't, we don't have any, uh, we, we just came off a, a St. John, um, island, Virgin Islands trip. This is you and your wife, Marcy. Yeah, my, my wife and I, uh, we just got off that trip right before Christmas. We got home on Christmas Eve. So that we, we've had a recent vacation, uh, sort of, we've sort of toyed with the idea of doing, you know, not this, not a herp related trip. We've toyed with the idea of doing a, a an Everest base camp trip. Uh, the big, the big hike up there, uh, we, we both really like the Virgin Islands and, and talked about going back there, which you, I didn't do much herping there if, unless you count the, you know, there were anoles and various anoles and geckos all over the place and, and the sea, the, the various green sea turtles that we saw there, which two of which my wife named Marvin and Melvin, uh, they were, they were very <laughs> reliable green sea turtles. They were there every day. We, we went out in this one particular bay. So they, they were our friends. Uh, other than that, you know. We don't have a planned uh, vacation. I, I would, I really would love to get over somewhere in sort of Southeast Africa, South Africa, Southeast Africa, somewhere in that area at some point to, to do a little herping, but that's not, that's just sort of an idea at the moment. Well, that's to knock off the charismatic megafauna too, right? Yeah, that would, that would include, that would include both herps and, and the, uh, the sort of safari experience out there. And St. Martin, you did a, a, some snorkeling. Yeah, and it's St. John. Or St. John, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, St. John. I spent, uh, we were there for seven days, and I spent every single day face down in the water, at least for some period of time during the day. I mean, up to 
up to four hours a day in the water, just basically doing what I do for a job, only in, in warmer, <laughs> OSHER, you know, marine environments, looking at the, the fish and the sea turtles. And so it sounds like you really like being in the water. I love the water. <laughs> I, uh, which, which kind of plays back to Mike tormenting me about the pool. But if I could be in the water, I would really wish that hellbenders were a a warm water marine <laughs> species, and then I could combine the two things. That would be that would be ideal for me. Well, there's some eight legged creatures under the under the sea. So absolutely, absolutely, you develop a, an affinity for octopi. Yeah, oh, I I did see some when I was out there, and they were, I mean, they were pretty awesome. He sat there, the one in particular just kind of sat there and stared at me and then changed colors. I chased around some schools of squid and they were they were very, I got inked. That was cool. All to, right. Yep. Yep. Check. I, yep. I can check that one off the list and and uh, go on to the next thing. But yeah, that was a good time. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to well, thank you guys for coming on the show. Um, we've been hanging out for the, a week now, I guess, and uh, it's been fun to walk trails with you and and uh, be there when you guys find some exciting stuff. Like the other night, we got a or uh, uh, Nick, you spotted it first—a big uh, uh, rainbow boa crossing the trail. Yeah, I like to count that as a group spot. Uh, that was one of those ones that it, it, I just happened to be the person looking in that direction. We all would have seen it had we continued <laughs> walking along. You guys just happened to be looking at a frog when I looked up. So, yeah, it was a uh, been great nights and. Uh, appreciate you doing what you guys do down here. It's it's nice to know when you go somewhere that your money is uh, put to good use on a trip. It's not just um, going in somebody's pocket just to make them a little right. richer. So yeah. uh, I like that you're used for some land acquisition and different things here to help protect the jungle. Yeah, uh, me too. And uh, I like to I I like to say I'm earning my plane ticket. That's what I get out of it. So I think yeah. you're I think you're earning your plane ticket. Okay, where you, <laughs> you give where, where would you put me at on the on the five star scale? Man, you're about four and a half right now. You you get us that uh, you get us that Bushmaster and you get the five stars. Okay, All that's right. right. No pressure there. You might already have the five stars, but man, those jokes they just. The... <laughs> I love yeah. the dad jokes. Yeah, Mike. Mike is he is the father figure here. So. Yes. You can expect numerous dad jokes. Hey, some sometimes I'm funny. Oh, they're they're, oh, they're usually funny. They're usually funny. Yeah, we Not we enjoy the time, them. <laughs> but, you know, sorry, it that's just comes with the the, the package. It's okay. part of the tour, so we like it. I mean, if you want somebody dour and focused and serious, you're on the wrong trip. So. <laughs> well, thanks again, fellas. I appreciate you giving me some time here on a a hot. Uh, it's actually still morning, but we're getting close to lunchtime. So, uh, appreciate you sitting down and talking with me and, uh, I look forward to spending the rest of the week with you. And then, uh, I don't know where we're going to be later in the year, but I will see you guys somewhere. Uh, I think we'll come over. Uh, Greg and I are going to come over to Southern Indiana to be there for a hellbender release. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, that is a that's been in the making for a few years, and that's releasing captive bred um, youngsters. It's releasing captive reared youngster, youngsters. Captive reared. You yeah, collect so. the eggs. Yep. We yes. Collected these eggs. Uh, this this batch will be from eggs collected from Kentucky, and uh, and now this is the they're finally old enough and big enough to release in the Blue River. So, okay. 
All right. And again, uh, listen to the other episode if you want more on that. But uh, uh, but maybe we'll visit this, uh, the Hellbender release again for another episode down the road. So, yeah, well. And I'm looking forward to, I want to do another uh, Snow Dogs episode. Maybe this time we'll, we'll, we'll get it, uh, you know, safe for... Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little earlier in the evening before... Uh, before the libations are, are, yeah. are um, upon us, <laughs> yeah. And there, there was, there was, it was just not going to work. And there was a lot of table pounding too. So, yep. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, so we'll we'll try that again um, in, a, in a month or two and see how that goes. So sounds great. All right. Yep. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. Thanks for having us. That's it for episode 62. I want to thank Tom Williams, Greg Stevens, and Nick Berkmeyer for sitting down and talking to me. And a special thanks to all of those screeching parrots who showed up just in time. And thanks once more to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who have gotten the show all the way to the third season. Much appreciated. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle. And so much pingle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more detail. And don't forget that you can find all the recorded episodes and show notes at so much pingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at somuchpingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves. And don't forget to hurt better.